0: And here's what I'm trying to do in this series. Uh, We're trying to figure out how people grow spiritually and how to get unstuck in our spiritual growth process. Some of you, some of you maybe are kind of new to this thing. And uh, some of you are new to Christianity, you're new to church, you're coming back to church for the first time in a long time. Uh, you're, some of you are maybe still trying to decide where you land on this thing, you're kind of on the fence, there's some things that are attractive, there's some things you haven't quite swallowed yet and you just can't get over some, you got some questions because you're sure there's a God but you're not sure about what to do with Jesus, is he really who he said he was, is he the son of God, is he the way to God? So we got, you got a lot of questions. Maybe you've been there for a while. Maybe you've been coming here for a while. Maybe you've been asking the same questions over and over again for a while. And maybe it's been long enough that you find yourself kind of stuck now and you don't know uh, what it's going to take for you to actually act on this. So I think, in fact, some of you maybe are at a place where you would love to have faith to to act. You just don't know what to do with that or, or how to act, what the next step is. So there's a sense in which you're stuck. And maybe you've wanted to have faith for a long time, but for some reason you just can't seem to get there. And you keep doing the church thing and you keep listening to Christian Radio and you read some books and you read the Bible. But for some reason, you just can't move on. The big idea behind this series is that sometimes uh, we have a picture of where we want to be. But in the moment, we don't know where we are. Ever been there? It's just like being lost. And I've used this illustration every time we've gotten together on this series where you can have a destination in mind, but if you're not sure where you are, uh, you can't get where you want to be. And so sometimes, you know, when we're traveling or you're in, a, a say, like a, new, a, a big mall you've never been to before or an amusement park or something like that, and you find the big map, you know, and you look for the dot that says, you are here. And that's what we've been doing here for these last four uh, parts of this series. This is part four. We're looking for that you are here dot. We've spent Four Sundays in a parable that Jesus taught that can really help us diagnose where we are spiritually. And the good news is where you are today doesn't need to be where you are tomorrow. I hope that's good news for you. I hope you hear hope in that. And chances are we've all seen ourselves in this teaching somewhere on one of these weeks we've started off a few weeks ago reading through the parable itself as a whole and and saw that for a lot of us the problem with our spiritual progress or lack thereof the reason that we get stuck comes down to teachability and maybe not in every area of our lives we're not typically an unteachable person maybe you're not across the board but maybe just in a couple areas of our lives we're not very teachable we're not that open. We're not open to new experiences. We're not open to new teaching. We're not open to new, new truth. And Jesus seemed to have the greatest impact on people who were open. So I don't know. Maybe you know everything. Maybe you've got everything all figured out, and you should be the one here telling us, and you're telling God how to run the universe. Well, maybe not the universe because that's a little presumptive, but at least you're part of the universe because you've got it all figured out how it affects your life. You've got to master your plan. You're get, trying to get him to kind of line up with that. That can be a problem. So we spent some uh, time a few weeks ago talking about that and talking about uh, teachability. Mark, I don't know if you're hearing that. I, got a, I think my gain is a little hot on my mic and word, thank you. The way Jesus taught this when he taught this uh, parable, this is the parable of the sower, is he described God as a farmer who went out to plant some seed. And as he sowed the seed, he did so very generously. And he kind of scattered it all over the place because God is at work in all kinds of lives, not just yours, not just mine, not just in the lives of people who seem to have it all together, not just in the lives of people that you see every Sunday at church. God is at work in all kinds of lives, and he's very generous with that. And Jesus said, really, there are only three soil conditions that he talks about here in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. If we could put those on the screen, uh, Josh, that'd be great. There's the hard path or the rocky soil. Then there are the weeds that grow up sometimes in, even in good soil, and then there's simply what Jesus calls good soil. And they represent three different spiritual conditions, three different heart conditions. Some of us have hearts that have become hardened. They're like the hard path of the rocky soil. And the so- we talked about the signs that your heart has become hard, and then we talked about what can you do about that. And we said that if you have a hard heart, you, you just aren't going to let God in because you don't really kind of let anyone in. And if you have trust issues, or maybe you've grown cynical, you've become a little jaded, or maybe you've lost hope, or maybe you don't feel emotion the way you used to feel emotion, it may be a sign that your heart is hard. And we said that the key to unlocking a hard heart is to do the very thing that we don't want to do, to believe again, to trust again, to open up again, and to hope again. That resonated with some of you, and you you realize, you know, I gotta, I've got to believe again. I've got to make a decision to trust again. And Some of you realize I've allowed my heart to become closed and I need to open it up again. And I've become cynical and jaded about so many things and I need to hope again. So we talked about that. And then a couple weeks ago we talked, or I guess it was last week, we talked about um, the weeds. And the weeds equal worry. And we, we, last time we looked at these verses where Jesus says sometimes God's truth gets in. That seed that has been planted, it gets in and things start to grow There's some good stuff being produced, but then weeds grow up at the same time. And Jesus describes the weeds as the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. The pleasure and the deceit of wealth chokes out our growth, and worry does too. And we said that worry is is at its core a spiritual problem. And maybe you'd never thought of it that way before. Maybe you'd never thought of worry as a spiritual problem. You just saw it as a, uh, I don't know, maybe it was something that was handed down to you because, you know, your mother's a worrier and her mother was a worrier and her, her mother was a worrier. And so it's just in your DNA and that's what your family does. You just worry. But listen, we determine it's a spiritual issue because Jesus says it can choke off our faith. Jesus said it, we can overcome worry. And if you missed this message last week, I really encourage you to pick up the CD or listen online or to the podcast. We said that the antidote, and this sounds a little simplistic without the context, but we said that the antidote to worry is to do everything that you can to address the problem that you're worried about. So do what you can, but then there comes a point where you have to open your hands and you trust God. So you do what you can, open your hands, and trust God. Then we come to this third type of soil, and it's just Jesus calls it good soil. Jesus says sometimes that Word of God, you know, he says, my work in your life, the work of truth in your life, sometimes it just falls on good soil. And the good soil is fertile soil. And the seed grows and it produces a crop. And that's really all about spiritual growth. That's what we all hope for, right? You know, it's like if I really, if I really started to grow spiritually, if I really got to know my Heavenly Father, if I really developed this relationship with Jesus, will he do something in my life? Will he begin to change me? What does that even look like for me? I think the key word here for this morning is surrender. If there's a factor in spiritual growth. but What is it? Some people just seem to have it. You know what I'm talking about? So the, for the purposes of this message today, I'm just going to call it the X Factor. Do you know anyone who might... The, the, have what you might call a spiritual X factor? You do life with any people like that? I mean, I do. I can think of people in my life who just always seem to be close to God. They always seem to be in tune with Him. They always seem to hear those promptings and nudgings of the Holy Spirit. They always seem to have these new insights. And God seems to be doing things in their life. I mean, the way that He answers their prayers is just amazing. You ever spent time with people like that? I mean, if you know what I'm talking about, you got people like that in your life. The rest of you, no? Okay. Okay. you're just going to make it difficult for me today? Is that the deal? Okay. I won't ask any more questions. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been trying to know God. Maybe you want to know God. Maybe you sort of know God, but every once in a while you run to someone and it's like, you know, wow, I feel like they, they know God at a level that I've never experienced. I feel like they definitely spent time with him, like this morning, already today they spent time with him. They're just so grounded. They're so deep. They are so consistent. It's like a spiritual X factor. And it produces multiple times the amount that was originally planted. And I just love spending time with people who seem to me that they've been with God. That they don't just know about God, but that they've spent time with Him. So think about that. Do you know anybody like that? If you do, do you spend time with them on a regular basis? Have you talked with them about that X factor? About what is it that makes their relationship with God so rich and so fruitful? Fortunately for us, Jesus kind of explains this X factor. And we're going to take one more look at this parable, this passage of Scripture. This is part four. We're going to wrap it up today, and I really appreciate you hanging in with me. I kind of never start a teaching series in the summer, and we decided to try it this year. And some of you have just been all in. That's been really cool. And I appreciate the support. We're in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look at this parable one more time, the parable of the sower through a different lens, and this time the lens of the good soil, and try to unpack this a little bit and figure out how it applies to our lives. So we're in Matthew chapter 13, and I'm going to read several verses, and I'm giving you just a second to find it in your Bible, if you're sitting where you can see it, and, or to find it on your, in your Bible app. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there, and he taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one, the words of Jesus. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Verse 5, other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, and the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was hundred, that was 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. And I love this, verse 9, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And then he offers an explanation. All the way down to verse 18, he says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. Jump down to verse 23. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as have been planted. So, what's the X factor? You're reading all that going, okay, that's great, good soil. What is it? How do I grow spiritually? How do I get unstuck? Well, I've come this far, but I can't go any further. What's the deal? Where's the key? What's the secret sauce? Let's, let's start with what it's not. Let's start with what it's not. The X factor is not talent. It's not talent. Because you might think, you know, I'm just not talented. I don't have the natural ability to absorb certain spiritual truths. I can't do the stuff that super spiritual people do. You know, it's like some people want to be musicians so they can, you know, play in a band or, you know, really hit big time and play in our worship band. But they're, but they're not musicians, some people, you know, think they're singers and they want to be on a worship team. And some people want to be artists and some people want to be public speakers. And, and, and some people want to be leaders and someone, you know, somehow you think that if, I, if, you, if you don't have the, the talents necessary to do those things, the, those prominent roles in the church that seem to get all the attention, that God can't really use you. Well, thankfully, that's not what the X factor is. If your story is that your sister got the looks and your brother got the brains and your brother-in-law got the money and you got nothing... Uh, this doesn't disqualify you, okay. When Jesus was on the earth and he tried to build, he tried to build some circles. He had a lot of followers. The New Testament calls them disciples. We tend to think of 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 how many disciples. We tend to think of the. 12, right? Those guys whose names we know as Jesus' disciples. But the truth is he had hundreds of disciples because a disciple is simply a learner and a follower. And then he organized those hundreds of followers into smaller groups. And he, there was a group of 70 or 72, depending on which Bible you're reading. And he sent them out on a mission and he developed an inner circle of 12. Those are the famous guys who we name our kids after. And within that inner circle, there were three, right? Who are they? Peter, James, and John. It's pretty clear when you look at these guys' lives that Jesus was not looking for talent. Because when you read the Gospels, the disciples almost never got it right. They go to heal people, as Jesus commissioned them to do, and they're like, oh man, this isn't working. You know, why isn't this working? What are we doing wrong? And then, then Peter, the guy at the center of the birth of the church, the night before Jesus was crucified, Peter's like, well, whatever happens, I'll be faithful to you. No matter how bad it gets, Jesus, you can count on me. And it's like the next breath, he denied that he ever knew him. There were, there were more talented people in that group of hundreds of followers of Jesus that he could have called to be in his inner circle. So if you're saying, well, I'm not very talented, I'm not very gifted, that has nothing to do with your ability to grow spiritually. And it certainly doesn't mean that God can't use you for his purposes or for his glory. So it's not talent. And, and secondly, it's not biblical knowledge. The tw- you're like, ooh, that sounds almost like blasphemy. Hold on. The, the 12 that Jesus called were not the most biblically literate people. In fact, uh, some of them never even went to church. Matthew, for one, never would have been allowed in the synagogue because he worked for the Romans. And if you were a Jew and Roman-occupied Palestine and you worked for Rome, you worked for the enemy. He was corrupt. He stole from people. And, and Jesus is like, come follow me. And he did. And all the religious people, all they saw was a huge scandal in that. In fact, the most religious people, the people who knew the most about the Bible, the scripture at that time, were the people that Jesus had the the harshest words for in his teaching and in his exhortation, and we know them as the Pharisees. So if if biblical knowledge was the criteria, if that was the X factor, Jesus would have chosen that inner circle differently. So so if you're like, well, I don't, I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know how God could use me. I don't know what I could do in the church. I don't really know anything about the Bible. I don't know if I can really serve in kids' ministries because I don't really know much about the Bible. I don't know if I could really serve like on a cleaning team at church because I don't really know much about the Bible. I could certainly never sit down and have a coffee with somebody and have a conversation about my spiritual journey, because I don't know that much about the Bible. First of all, I would encourage you to read your Bible. You've heard me say that before. read it. Learn everything you can about it. Do a Bible study with some friends. It will enrich your life. And it's an important part of spiritual growth. But as important as it is, biblical knowledge isn't the X factor when it comes to spiritual growth. It helps. It it helps. It's invaluable. And these guys that Jesus called would come to learn and love the scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament, but it wasn't the X factor. Surprisingly, the X factor isn't even the length of time that you've been a Christian. So if you're new to this and you didn't, uh, you didn't grow up in the church and you feel like you know, you've got a lot of catching up to do, uh, listen, the amount of time that you've been a Christian is not the X factor. It's not like, well, once I'm in this, you know, once I'm 10 years into this thing, then God's gonna be doing something in my life. So I just gotta kind of keep doing this stuff and going through the things and come to church and the programs and sign up for as many things as possible. Listen, we all know people who've been Christians for decades and, and they still haven't really grown. So, so if you're new to this thing as a follower of Jesus, and hopefully you'll use your time to know God more deeply like three years from now or five years from now or, or 10 years from now than you do today, but, but time alone, is not the x factor. So it's not time, it's not biblical knowledge, it's not talent. And since we're talking about, you know, what the x factor is not, let me let me just ask you this. What do you think is your greatest impediment to seeing God work in your life? What's the greatest barrier for you to you moving forward in your relationship with God? What's the thing that keeps you stuck in one place? I ha- I have a suggestion. If you're wondering, if you're like, I don't really know. I mean, oh, I got lots of little stuff. I don't know if I got a big impediment to my spiritual growth. Here, I'm just going to offer this. I would argue that it's you. And for me, it's me. When I look at my life and look at the decades that I've been pursuing Jesus, I started my walk with Jesus 40 years ago this spring. And um, the biggest struggle I have is, is me. And when I look at all the things that keep me from moving forward as a follower of Jesus, when I look at the things that tend to, to keep me stuck in one place, when what I, what I really want to do is to step forward in my spiritual journey, when I look at that, the common denominator is me. It's the easiest thing in the world to blame others on this one. I don't know about this church, you know, I'm not really getting fed. I've never heard that, by the way. <clears throat> Oh, it's my wife. She never encourages me. She just criticizes and nags. It's my husband, no matter what. It's never good enough. It's my work. My boss is awful. Everybody at work hates me. Listen, when you've been through eight bosses, it's probably not your boss. When you've been through five spouses, probably not your spouse. You've been in seven churches in the last eight years, probably not the church or the pastor. When you don't have any real friends because no one can be trusted, the problem isn't your friends. The problem is you. You're the common denominator. I'm the common denominator in my life. And when I've struggled to grow spiritually, it's not a lack of willingness on God's part to be involved in my spiritual growth. That's not why I'm stuck. That's not what got me stuck. The greatest impediment to seeing the work of God in my life is me. and, And the greatest impediment to seeing God work in your life is you. And we could stop there. Um, and that would be kind of disheartening and discouraging and not really all that helpful. So let's keep, let's keep going and see where this takes us. We're, we're talking about unco- uncovering the spiritual X factor, the one thing that more than maybe any other thing will lead us out of the place where we get stuck, that will lead us out of a rut that we maybe tend to get in spiritually. And maybe, you know, you just keep circling back around to that same kind of rut. Maybe let's talk about the thing that will lead us into a thriving, living, contagious, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's talk about what it is. You know, we said a few weeks ago, to some extent it's teachability. To some extent, it's addressing the hard-heartedness. To some extent, it's eliminating worry. But just to put it in a single phrase, let's put it this way: the thing that will help you grow the most spiritually, the X factor, the multiplier, is simply this. It's a surrendered will. If you're writing anything down, you can that would be a good one to write down. You have a will. You might not even think of yourself in those terms. You don't think of yourself as, I'm not a very strong-willed person. I'm just, you know, like whatever. But you have a will. And some of you are very quiet about it. You don't say much. Then don't make a big deal about what you want. But when it's all said and done, you just do what you want to do. And some of you maybe are not very open. You look confused and you're like, well, I don't know what I want. And I don't know what I should do here. And I I don't know what I want. But when God speaks, man, you've got a million reasons why you can't do what God wants you to do. Because maybe you've never trusted him, really. Maybe you've never trusted him with things like your sexual ethics, your sexual moral standards. You've never trusted him with your money. You've never trusted him with your addictions, with those negative, destructive, controlling behaviors. You've never trusted him with your relationships in your home, in your workplace. You've never invited him into your calendar, in the, way that, the, the way that you spend your time. You've never really invited him into the nitty-gritty of your daily life. You don't really want him that involved in the details, in the daily stuff. You'd rather just kind of have Jesus follow you than you follow Jesus because your will isn't surrendered. I think the X factor, the thing that makes God's work in your life grow exponentially is a surrendered will. And when you say, God, okay, I've got a will, I might be sneaky about it, I might, might kind of operate under the radar, I might even, or maybe I'm the other end, I'm strong-willed and everybody knows it, and at the end of the day, I do what I want to do, and I'm pursuing my own happiness, because that's my God-given American right, after all, I'm seeking what I want, it's just my, it's, it's what I want, it's kind of my whole deal, so I'm just trying to figure out how to get you to help me get what I want out of life. <laughs> that sounds anything like you, in the, in the, when you're laying in the dark, and contemplating stuff, I would argue that maybe perhaps your will is surrendered. I think the X factor, the thing that will make the biggest difference for us spiritually, and the thing that will actually grow faith in us and starts to produce fruit that God is looking for, I believe it's a surrendered will. And when people start to wonder what's up with you, when they start to come to you for advice, when they start to refer to you as wise, When they want to know what you think before they make a decision, when they seek you out and suddenly there's an X factor at work in your life, you know what that is? It's that you've surrendered your will. The way I've come to think about it is basically this, that if I will, God will. If you will, God will. If you are willing, your heavenly Father is willing this isn't about, you know, get me into that new house, get me into that new car, get me into that new job, heal my loved one, let the doctor call with good news for once. No, no, no. I'm talking about the, the stuff that's eternal, the stuff that, that makes a difference for eternity. I'm talking about relationships, forgiveness, selflessness, love. Well, sometimes you, sometimes you get a new job as a result of your character. sometimes Sometimes you have to give up your dream job as a result of your character so you can take a lesser job. Sometimes better things come your way, and sometimes you leave what you think are better things behind as a result of your surrendered will. So I'm definitely not talking about a prosperity gospel at all. I'm saying that if, if what we're saying is, God, I want your kingdom, I want your will, I want your agenda in my life, I want to know you and, and to know the, what you're about and to know what you're up to in the world, maybe be a part of that. If that's what we're talking about, then if you will, God will. Because God has always shown his willingness. And if you, if you ever thought that maybe the issue was God's not willing, because, you know, you just can't seem to get that big prayer answered. You just can't seem to grow in your faith. You just kind of feel stuck. You've stopped making progress spiritually a long time ago. You just figured this was, you know, this, this is as far as God's willing to take me, that somehow he's just kind of left you on your own to figure it out from here. That, no, no, no. He is willing. The question is, are you I don't always understand why God set this up like a partnership, but He did. And the one thing that He will always honor is your decision to surrender your will to His will. So we need to be very, very careful about what we do with our will. So the big question for this morning is, have you surrendered your will? Have you surrendered your will, and what does that look like? Well, first, I wonder if there's ever been a moment in time when you prayed the prayer that Jesus prayed where he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe you've said those words over and over, but is there any evidence in your life that it's actually true of you? I think that's a great place to start. It's where you say, God, I'm going to stop trusting in myself. I'm going to start trusting in Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. And I'm going to stop trusting in my will and my desires and my plans and my little kingdom that I'm trying to build here And I'm going to start to use my life to build the kingdom that God wants. I'm going to start to use my life to bring about the kinds of things that God wants to see happen in the world. So the question is, have you surrendered your will? I mean like white flag, hands up, surrender to God. According to this parable in Matthew 13, the way to tell is by what kind of harvest you're seeing. If the word and the work of God is actually going to produce a harvest in your life, what would your life look like? What kind of influence would you have with others? What role does worry play in that? We talked about that last week. How much time and energy are you spending worrying when you should be acting what God has called you to do and trusting God with the rest? How hard is your heart? How resistant are you to truth? How teachable are you? And is there harvest? Ask yourself things like, am I more forgiving than I used to be? Am I more understanding? Am I more compassionate? Am I more empathetic? Am I more loving? Have I invited the Holy Spirit into this place in my life? Think about what the the twelve disciples uh, did. They're like, This guy, Jesus, uh, I'm not really sure who he is, what he's all about, but he said, Follow me, and so I followed him. He said, You know, leave your nets, so I left my nets. He said, leave your tax collector booth, and I left my tax collector booth. He said, have us over for dinner, and I had them all over for dinner. And he starts teaching and healing, and people's lives started to change. So does your life sound more like, God, here's what I want you to do for me? It's not much, really. It's it's not much more than the basic American dream, you know, so that's all I'm asking for. Or or is it, I'm going to do whatever God says? Whatever, in this, whatever I see in the scripture, whatever the Holy Spirit prompts me, wherever God leads me, I'm going to follow him. The, the reality is, think about this, what we often refuse to do spiritually, we do all the time relationally. Here's what I mean by that. Think about this. You defer to people all the time. There are people that you consult and you're like, you know, they have so much wisdom and they've done so well in their marriage or with their kids or in their job or with their money. I'm just going to ask them uh, what to do for some advice. And then, you know, whatever they say, that's what I'm going to do, you know. It's like, I don't know what I should do with with my car. Should I fix it? Should I sell it? Should I trade it? So we ask the people in our lives who know more about cars than we do. And we do what they suggest and we defer to them. We have people who tell us about a restaurant. They just tried it out and they recommend it, so we check it out. We defer to them. And they tell you about a movie, so you go see the movie. And they tell you about a vacation experience, so you start saving money and making plans so you can have the same vacation experience. My favorite, of course, will probably happen after church, is when you decide as a family that you're going to go out to eat. And someone says, well, where do you want to go? And what's the answer? Every time. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. Wherever. We defer to people all the time. So the question is, why won't we defer to God? Why do we hesitate to defer our will to God's will? If you, just, if you defer to people, when people have let you down, why won't we defer to God? I know. I know why. It's because, well, I don't really agree with God on this one. <laughs> I don't really agree with God on how I should handle my money. I don't, I don't really agree with God on sexual morals. I mean, that's kind of outdated stuff. I don't agree with God on those ideas in the Bible that contradict my political views. Um, I don't agree with God on how I should treat my ex or my stepfather or my boss. may not say those words, but let's be honest. So why don't you defer to God and just see how that plays out? So your responsibility is to surrender. My responsibility is to surrender, is to say, you know what, God? I, 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 sometimes I think I know better but we both know I don't. Our job is to surrender, and God's job is to multiply. Sometimes, some of us just want to get to the multiplication part. You know, we want the harvest. We want the 30, 60, 100 times thing. I'm not going to, you know, surrender. I'm going to try to get that result my way because I've, I've got some plans. I've got some ideas. I, I think I can make this happen. I like my way. It's, it's less painful. It's going to cost me less. I've thought long and hard about this. I think I have a better way. Mm-hmm. Our job is to surrender. Our responsibility is to surrender. God's is to multiply. And this is what God does for surrendered people. He has a habit. He has a track record. And, and, and this may not happen right away. It's not probably going to happen instantly. It's more like gardening, you know, and you wait and you wait for the seed to grow and you wonder, you know, why hasn't it grown? And When's it going to grow and is it ever going to grow? Is it ever going to bud? Is it ever going to produce flowers or vegetables or whatever it is? And finally it does. Our job is to surrender. God's job is to multiply. Here's the thing. You don't know what God is going to do with your life. We just can't know that. You might never be famous. You probably won't be, just so you know. You might never be on the cover of a magazine for the right reason You may may never be the top-trending story on Facebook or Google News or whatever, but you can make an impact. And if you're surrendered, and God begins to chisel away at your character, and you engage in that process with Him, on the other side of it, you will be different. You will stand out to the people around you, to the people who are already in your life, who you will attract people to your life. And the impact of your life begins to multiply. Our calling and our responsibility is to surrender, to break and surrender our will. God's is to multiply. So here's the question. Will you decide to surrender? And that's going to look a little bit different for each one of us. But at the end of it, it's really a breaking of your will, and then you start to fill your mind with Scripture, with the truth of God's Word, and if you surrender your will, if you will, God will. And the harvest will be amazing, and you will grow, and your influence will be multiplied. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for creating us with a, with a will that we can surrender. Some of us have been stubborn. We'll surrender some things, but we won't surrender everything. And I know that even when we surrender our wills, we're still going to have questions. But our heart this morning is that we want to trust you. We want to give you the benefit of the doubt. We, we want to defer to you. So Father, I pray this morning for every everyone listening who's been stubbornly resisting you, exerting their own will. Maybe for some of us are finally ready. We're finally ready to surrender our wills. Maybe for the first time. For some in this room, maybe they're ready to surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And i me just say to you, for those of you who are just listening, listen, that you can pray with me Heavenly Father, today I surrender my will to Jesus as my Savior. I give my life to you. I trust you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin today. I declare Jesus as my Lord. Father, for all of us who call ourselves Christians and we just haven't surrendered our wills, help us to do just that. Give us the courage to do that, to wholeheartedly surrender all that we are to you. We want to grow. We want to produce amazing fruit. We want your truth to find good soil in us so you can do everything you want to do in us and through us. So today we come to you and we surrender. We invite you to do the work that you want to do. Renew our minds. Go to work on our character. Shape us into the people that you've created us and called us to be for the sake of what you're doing in the world and for your glory. Watch this.
1: <laughs> Ephesians
2: 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, (laughs) but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer, and I say, Dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. Jesus name I pray
1: amen hi whoa who are you I'm God you said the prayer so here I am you're not God no I am you said the prayer it's how it works okay okay if you're God then uh, make it snow in here you know what I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky
2: yeah you're not God why do you say that God wouldn't say yucky I do it's a Greek word oh Okay, okay. Um, If you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say?
1: Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh.
2: Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year?
1: I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away.
2: You answered my question with a question.
1: I did? (laughs) Yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. (laughs) Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm gonna make you into my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm gonna to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay.
2: Yeah. Hang on. Yeah.
1: I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up.
2: Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm-hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave?
1: I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kinda of like.
2: Dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward, but I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to maybe eight lines right here, that would be
1: awesome. (laughs) You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on, like your anger. Mm. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, You compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust. Well, time out. <laughs> I
2: don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it any time I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I I gotta admit, I I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now.
3: All
1: right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see?
2: but you chisel away,
1: just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not for me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me, I don't take time to make junk.
2: Is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk, you are an original masterpiece.
3: world